Welcome to episode 382 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. I just had this realization as we were doing the opening that almost every time I think I'm bringing some new inflection, maybe just like a little bit of variety because variety is the spice of life. And then I had this great fear, almost this anxiety overtake me that I'm actually doing the same inflection every time and thinking that's totally new. It's like the popcorn oil or the uh, coconut oil. Yeah. So maybe like the listeners will be able to give us feedback because I never listened to the opening. Maybe I'm just saying it in a way with like the kind of same energy all over again. And everybody else is like, you say it the same every single time. But in my mind, I'm like, wow, didn't we do a great job at making it new? <laughs> I don't think you can say it exactly the same every time. That's that's why I always tell people who are starting new podcasts not to pre-record their yeah. intro to yeah. do it live every time because it's always going to be slightly different and people can hear that. So even if you think you're doing it the same or think you're doing it different, you're doing it different. There's no way you That's can do fair. it exactly the same. I get that. I might be in my own head on that. Every intro is like a fingerprint. It's like a snowflake. It's true. Right? Like you're just in a storm of the Reformed Brotherhood, 382 snowflakes coming at you hard. And the beginning snowflakes are kind of underdeveloped. Like maybe that's more like sleet. But these guys, this one, this is beautiful. <laughs> it's multifaceted. It's got all kinds of like intricate patterns to it. So I'm just going to stick with that. So if this episode like, is a stinker, we're in big trouble because you just said it's a beautiful, well-developed snowflake. <laughs> and if it's not good, people are going to be like, ah, Jesse said it was going to be great. And it was pretty terrible. But you know what? Don't you think that's like kind of what we offer is like we overpromise at the beginning. It's like, you know that we're all about the risk taking because we're not going to edit anything that comes after. We don't even know how this is going to unfold. We just know that we're going to talk about what it means to put on the armor of God and that we're going to trust God to bring about some kind of hopefully beautiful conversation because we're talking about the gospel. So really what can possibly go wrong? Maybe more at the beginning because we're going to do affirmations and denial. So speaking of a snowflake and every affirmation dial being slightly different, let's like just flip it. I don't think we've done denials first in a while. So tell me, brother, what are you denying against? So this is one of those um, denials that could could like lend itself to an entire episode. And, and I, I don't want to get too specific about the situation because um, I, I don't want this to be perceived as like a hobby horse thing. But I recently came into the knowledge, um, and this isn't like I came into some secret knowledge. I'm not like a Gnostic about this. I recently became aware that Doug Wilson uh, and his church are, are have engaged attorneys, anti-defamation attorneys, who are now sending out like cease and desist letters to people that have been, their claim is they have defamed him. I think some of them, the, the main one that's circulating now is this Examine Moscow website, which... I think some of the, I've said in the past, some of their claims are a little exaggerated. Some of their stuff is taken out of context. The specific claims that they are targeted for in the cease and desist letter, um, I actually don't think are as uh, exaggerated as the letter makes it seem. Um, all of that said, though, this happened. This is not the first time that I've made this commentary. So I think it's the first time I've made this commentary on the show. But uh, this is like an old issue 
Christians aren't supposed to sue each other, right? This is like yeah, explicit right. biblical teaching that we don't take each other to court over civil matters. Criminal matters, that's different. Like take child abusers, take take if you someone beats you up and they're a Christian, like take call the police. Don't hear me saying like we don't involve law enforcement or or the courts in in criminal matters. Um, and I guess I suppose you could say defamation is a criminal matter of sorts. But the Bible's pretty clear. Paul's pretty clear that like it's better to be defrauded, it's better to be misrepresented than it is to drag your your crap before the courts um, and and in public. So I just think um, you know this happened like uh, Mars Hill Church way back in the day. Mark Driscoll sent a cease and desist letter to another church that had a logo that looked very similar, actually sort of similar. I guess I'm just denying like Christians suing each other because right. maybe like because the Bible says don't do that. It seems pretty straightforward right. to me. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think at the very least, we ought to make ourselves, we ought to yield to what the scriptures say, even about these matters, even when yeah. we perceive them to be hard, or there are alternative methods or modes in secular, quote unquote, secular society. So at the very least, we ought to give pause, right? So like what Paul is saying here, like, what does this mean? And then to process that, as he might say, we are reasonable people, yeah. to process what that means and how we might act underneath it. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's it's like uncomplicated. I'm sure it is. Also, like, I mean, if if we go any further on this, it's going to be the whole episode. But Doug Wilson is like a strange dude. So, yeah. oh yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff there that like also complicates all of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't want to make this just about Doug Wilson, although it could certainly be a, a Doug Wilson. It's not not about man. Doug. Wilson. It's not not about Doug Wilson. But I think this is like a, a good example of of sort of a taking the Bible when it's convenient. I'm sure that Doug Wilson, I'm sure that First Corinthians six has been preached at one point or another at Christ Church Moscow. Like I'm sure Doug Wilson has of commented course. on First Corinthians six before, and Why I'm not? sure that he would say like, yeah, First Corinthians six flatly, directly, openly, and without a lot of interpretation says, don't sue each other. Like don't, don't sue other Christians. But then when it becomes time to need to sue another Christian, I'm sure there will be all sorts of responses and answers for like, well, this doesn't really apply. This situation doesn't really apply. And like, this is the thing that I think is so crazy is like, it's not like it's harder to let yourself be defrauded now than it was in the first century. Like For sure. it's not like, Oh, well, like Paul didn't understand how difficult, like he didn't understand what it was like to have internet reputation and like what this does. Like, <laughs> yeah, he didn't understand that one. The Holy spirit did. Yeah, so like we can't just exclude that. But two, like Paul was constantly being defrauded. He was constantly having his reputation tarnished and what he didn't do is sue. And so this is funny. This came up actually in the telegram chat today. When we were talking about it. Honestly, the right response, Doug Wilson should go after these people. Like he should use his platform to expose them and to show that they're the ones who are being dishonest. That would be totally, uh, with all of the caveats that it's done in a Christian fashion and it's done in a moral sense, that would be a totally appropriate response. That's what Paul did, right? He went and he wrote second Corinthians and he exposed the super apostles, right? So I just think, I think like sometimes we take the Bible and we treat it as though it's, it's useful when it's convenient. And then like we run into a situation, there's lots of justification why, well, this doesn't apply to us. The, the simple fact is like, Doug Wilson has engaged an attorney and unless he's lying about what he intends to do, if they don't stop, 
he's planning on bringing them to court. Like he's planning on suing them and bringing them right. up for civil penalties. And, and like the Bible explicitly says not to do that. So I suppose he could make an argument that these people aren't Christians and I don't know how you would even, how he would even necessarily prove that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of silly. Like it's just kind of silly. And the, the other thing, maybe to make this a little bit of a Doug Wilson thing, Doug has taken on a very much, very much a let the haters come kind of an approach And like, it's been very much like, come at me, bro. You know, we're not going to silence you. So you can't silence. And now it's like, shut up. uh, Cause you said something I don't like. And it like the people who speak loudest about cancel culture, oftentimes are very quick to try to cancel somebody else. And I think that's kind of what, that's kind of like the big thing here. Like there's a lot of like, but you said you weren't going to do this and now you're doing it, but you said the Bible says not to do this and now you're doing it kind of things going on. So it's not exclusive to Doug Wilson. There's lots of people who I think have been in situations where like this prohibition against suing other Christians, we're just not going to worry about that too much because it doesn't really help me in my situation. Well, there's a larger denial here. I think in that, sometimes the scripture scripture commands us to do things that are just unpopular, even in our own worldview, in our own life. And it's easy when like, we're not actually confronted with that thing. But when it comes time to like die to self or to be submissive or to yield or to put ourselves underneath authority, it's often very difficult because we want to assert ourselves. And often our culture allows for an avenue, some kind of path to assert ourselves and sometimes the testimony is in, in that we forsake that path for Christ. And we do so in a way that brings ourselves out of like a legalistic sphere into one in which we're trying to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. These are just hard. Like, can we just admit it's just hard? So especially if you're a person of influence or you have some kind of seat of authority, it can be doubly hard. And of course, like presumably Doug Wilson feels like he has a lot at stake here in his own reputation. I understand that proclivity, don't you? Like to say like, I want to fight back and I want to do so with like all the legal power that I can avail myself with in the place in which I live. But what if the scripture supersedes all of that? That's the thing we all at some point will have to wrestle with. So I don't envy him. Again, I think we have to give the disclaimer a strange dude. We, I mean, just go back. Like, is everything in AI yet? Like has AI transcribed everything we said yet? So somebody could go back. Okay. No, they would be like this. These guys really, really don't like Doug Wilson, though. <laughs> yeah, and don't get me wrong. I just want to say this before we move on. Like, for all of all of my concerns and complaints and frustrations with Doug Wilson, he has a right to defend his reputation, and he shouldn't defend yeah. his reputation. Uh, That's course. actually we talked about this in our Ten Commandments series. Like, you have a moral obligation to defend your good name. That that's a moral obligation embedded in the ninth commandment that you have a moral obligation to defend right. your own good name and to defend the good name of your neighbor. So I'm not saying that he should just roll over and take it. I don't think that that's at all what the Bible teaches on this kind of situation. But there are avenues that we are given to do that, and there are avenues that we're forbidden to do that. And right. the, the Bible explicitly forbids doing that through use of secular courts. So it is what it is. It's just an interesting tidbit that I came across this week and I was like, that's just, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. I hear you. Once again, Doug Wilson making it, making his way into this conversation. It's true. It's true. Jesse, are you, do you have a denial this week that you'd like to share with the class? Yeah. I with the class. (laughs) All right, students, listen up. 
So honestly, it's kind of in a weird way connected to what you just said. Maybe I've oversold this already. Like, uh, so I'm denying against, uh, like feeling guilty about using different voices and it's not exactly, yeah, I've already oversold this. It does nothing to do with Doug Wilson. So, um, it's this idea that like, Sometimes like in different situations, like you yourself, whoever is listening to this, you're going to speak, articulate, use different dynamics in your voice, like differently than you might interact in other situations. And I become increasingly convinced that like, that's totally fine. So for instance, like Tony, if you're praying on the Lord's day, presumably you're going to use like literally a different voice than you might use in my, in this conversation right now. Or if you're talking and you're, consoling somebody who's close to you, you're going to use a different voice. And this came up because recently I had somebody say to me, and this is like a well-meaning uh, brother or sister in Christ. I'm trying to invoke like total anonymity here. Uh, this person said to me like, wow, they're talking to me and they're like, wow, you sound really different than when you're up front. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like sometimes the critique, like even people who are like, let's say like know you and I, like in a more personal way than like somebody that's only heard us or knows us through the podcast. Probably if we sat down and like shared a meal together, they might be like, Oh, well, I hear your voice. It's definitely you, but like the way you're speaking is different. Yeah. And I would argue that the way I'm speaking all the time is still me. It's right. always me. And the way I'm talking now is, is honestly, I'd say for like 90%, like the way you and I interact, but also like this is a podcast and it would be super boring if I only spoke in like, two tones of voice. Like it was just like total, like <laughs> just like a monotone. Uh, and so like, it's not that it's entertainment, but it's also, I recognize that like, I want to hear something that's interesting. And so I'm going to emulate that in the way that I communicate. But like when you give up and, and give a presentation at your work or at your church or anywhere that you're going to speak in a particular way, that's still you because you're understanding that you, you have vouchsafed a particular message, some kind of content that's important for you to communicate and given the audience and the circumstances in which you're sharing that message, you're going to communicate in a particular way, which would be different if you were having coffee with somebody and it's just okay. In other words, like it's not inauthentic that there's one yeah. and that there's the other in so much as you're not play acting. Right. Uh, but that's, it's also part of life that we would expect to communicate slightly different. I have to ask, I'm going to stop here. Does this make sense to you? Oh, like totally. when I'm going with this whole thing? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I can I mean I could probably I'm not going to, but I could probably enumerate the different the different voices of Tony. Like you and I think anybody could probably do this, right? You could probably sit down and think about the different you might even want to call them like different characters that you play, right? The different characters that you play depending on the context. Not not characters in the sense that like you're acting or that they're false, but like think of the different roles you play. There are times that I am leading a meeting at work and I take a different yes. tone with a different a different manner of speech or even think about um this might this is a little bit more removed so it might feel a little bit less personal think about the different kinds of emails you send right when I send an email to the chief quality officer of the hospital to report a concern to him I that's a very different email than if like I'm emailing my coworker to let them know I'm going to be gone next Tuesday like that's a different tone to the email 
We do that in terms of our voice and in terms of the way we present ourselves too. When I'm talking to an upset patient on the phone, it's very different than if I'm talking to a patient who's upset but wants to hurt me, which happens from time to time. Like I take a different tone and a different approach in those kinds of situations. And I, I agree with you. I think it's totally fine. Yeah, I think in some ways I think it's helpful because it shows that we're trying to be sensitive to the audience, the people we're talking to. So, you know, of course, I've received that critique from time to time that I have like a, let's say a podcast voice or like a worship leading voice. And I often think, well, that's okay because like, I think there's a good pedigree for having a voice that's consistent with the method and the mode that we're trying to communicate. So some might, some might say to me like, oh, do you, do you speak the same way to like your, let's say like your colleagues as you do on the podcast? Of course not. I don't say, welcome to Wednesday. <laughs> it's so good to see you. Like, of course I don't do that. But yeah. you also know that you're listening to a podcast. And this is the way in which we're interacting to bring people into the sphere of having a conversation. And there's an expectation about that space that we're in. And I think this is like Paul saying he wishes he could be all things to all people. Do we think that he didn't tailor the way in which he spoke yeah. to people there? And that in his tailoring in that bespokenness, so to speak, that it was him still? Of course it was him. And so much of it was not trying to defraud somebody by pretending to be something that we're not. By saying, like, I want to be courteous and respectful and, again, like bespoke in what I'm saying, I think that's fine. So maybe I'm just, like, preaching to, like, a very small choir that is only you, where, like, it's just, like <laughs> can you commiserate with me that, like, if somebody talks to us, like, if we, I hope sometime we'll gather with a bunch of people that listen to the podcast and they might be like, Oh, I hear your voices, but like, you're not saying like, welcome to like, yeah. of course I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, that would be super weird. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a good example of this. I will frequently, uh, because one of the things that one of the feedback that we received early on in the show is that people who don't know us couldn't tell who was talking. So I will regularly say, Jesse, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever said to you when we're talking at the, across the dinner table, Jesse, <laughs> Please tell me, Jesse, can you, I mean, unless you're not looking at me and I'm trying to get your attention. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't say to you, Jesse, my brother-in-law, can you please pass the mashed potatoes? Like, I, I like, I get your attention and make eye contact and say, hey, can you pass mashed potatoes? So like, it, I think you're totally spot on. There are definitely contexts and there are definitely times when, uh, even like in the Bible, like yeah, Paul, exactly. Paul takes on, I mean, you use the example of Paul, but like even in the book of Acts, you can see even in the course of one account, there's that one account where, where somebody slaps him and he's like, you brood of vipers, how dare you slap me? And they're like, you're going to revile the high priest. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't know it was the high priest. My bad. Yes. Like, the Bible says not to speak evil of a rule. Like he changes his tone and his approach right within that context because right. he recognized that the context demanded something different than what he had right. originally thought. So I, I'm right with you. I, I yeah. think it's fine. Totally fine. That's that's well said. So maybe that's just like a shot across the bat. Like, don't don't add us. But we'd love to hang out with all of you. But just I'm gonna warn you, you might be disappointed because I'm like, the energy level might be slightly different <laughs> than you hear on the podcast it's because true. it's not a podcast. All right. So Let's let's flip it around. Let's get positive. Let's get joyous. Let's get uplifting. What are you affirming with? So let, let me ask, let me affirm this by asking a question. Okay. This is one of those like, let's talk about the regional differences in the country kinds of affirmations. Mm. So when you were growing up and your mother made you some sort of like 
warm cereal type thing okay, that I'm was like it. you put some sort of uh item in boiling water or boiling milk what yeah. was it that she was making for you oh man uh let me ask you this question. Do you know what I do? You, you have a strong conviction of what I'm about to say. I don't actually. Uh, I th- suspect I might know, but it doesn't really matter because the point is that it's probably different than what. Uh, oh, okay. What I right, was getting me. Uh, so I'm going to go with something that I, I don't know if it's regional or if it's what my mother appreciates. And she's also still been love, a love in within me for like, this might be the, the equivalent of like the different vocal inflections, all this stuff. I'm going to go with Farina. Oh, that's not what I was thinking. I don't even know what that is, but I was I was going to say cream of wheat, but like so I never even heard of cream of wheat until I moved out east. In oh, really? in Minneapolis what we usually ate was called malto meal. What is that? It's it's actually pretty much the same thing, but it it's just a different I think it's a different grain. It might not even be a different grain. It could even be a different brand. I don't even know the difference. So I'm affirming cream of wheat because I've been having a lot of it lately. But I, I started to think about the fact that like cream of wheat, I don't remember ever eating that growing up. I don't actually remember eating just straight up oatmeal very often growing up. But I think this is one of those things like every region in every country has like this sort of like grain or wheat based yes like breakfast item that you you put in boiling water and it soaks it up like the equivalent of rice kind of for breakfast so in some in some cultures it's probably just rice but I, I I've been eating a lot of cream of wheat lately I don't know why it's been on the menu so much um but it's delicious and wait what was the, what was the thing that you said how did you describe it's that in the Midwest malto meal okay so here's what I just looked up farina f a r i n a and the synonym that came up was malta meal. Yeah. So like malta meal, I think is, is it's just a different grain. It's not wheat. I'm not sure what it is. Um, usually it's chocolate. Like it's a, got a chocolate flavor to it. So yeah, I don't know. I'm affirming, I'm affirming uh, cream of wheat. And I guess I'm kind of affirming that this little bit that I was trying to set up didn't really work, but no, no, I, try. I, I actually think there's more appreciation than you think because I've just done like a, a shocking amount of Googling while you've been speaking. And <laughs> apparently these are all synonyms. Right. So the internet is saying, actually, generative AI is saying that farina is a type of milled wheat that's often cooked as a hot breakfast cereal. It's called malta meal and it is also known as cream of wheat. So basically all we've said is that these are all the same things. Can you talk about, like this is like a fine porridge, right? Like it's yeah, not like of. oatmeal, right? Yeah, like if you think of traditional oatmeal and then you have like steel-cut oatmeal, it's like a step down from steel-cut oatmeal. But it's not oats, it's wheat. It's like milled wheat and it it creates almost like this paste. Yes, that's a good way of saying it. And and honestly, it is delicious, right? And you can put a lot of things in it. You can put honey, brown sugar, you can put sugar, like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. What's really funny is I've been talking about all week since I've been eating cream of wheat, how much I miss malto meal. And now I've just literally in real time discovered that it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> so this is like, uh, what did you call uh, when you were growing up? What did you call a shoe that wasn't like a dress shoe that you might wear to school, maybe even and wear to gym class? We called them tennis shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You probably called them sneakers. You got it. Yeah. Yep. And, and basically we all discovered that they're the exact same shoe, right? Yeah. It's just like a general athletic shoe with a rubber sole. Right. Some, somehow in like the Northeast, we came to be like totally fascinated 
and obsessed with the fact that it didn't make a sound. And so it was like you were sneaking around and you guys were like, <laughs> uh, you could wear this to uh, apparently play the game tennis. What's really and, crazy is you wouldn't wear sneakers to play tennis. What did you wear? I mean, the kinds of shoes you wear for tennis are not typically the same kinds of shoes that you would wear what, that we call tennis shoes. What do you shoes. call those shoes then? I don't know. I didn't play tennis. <laughs> but I don't feel like, I feel like just like every sport has like its own specific kind of shoe, tennis, right. like tennis probably has a specific kind of shoe. And I don't think that every kid in Minnesota was like just wearing that to class. Wait, so you're saying that like if in Minnesota, if you're going to play tennis, you wouldn't wear a tennis shoe as you understood it. I mean, we didn't play tennis. I didn't play tennis, so I guess I don't know. But I would think that like when I went to the store to buy tennis shoes, I wasn't going to like I wasn't going to like the section where they sell tennis shoes, like shoes specifically for tennis. Like athletic shoes. Yeah, like if you the went to the shoes. if you went to like the the shop at the country club, like where you buy the country tennis club. equipment. Or like you go to the tennis section of like Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, I don't yeah. think the shoes you get in that section are the same thing that I was wearing growing up that we called tennis shoes. I'm not saying. sure why they were called tennis shoes, to be honest with you. Um, what would you call a shoe that rides up high in the ankle that's athletic? Did you have a name for that? Yeah, like a high top. Okay, all right. I just, I mean, that sounds a ridiculous question. I feel like you were like, that's just common language for. Yeah, it's just descriptive. Yeah, that's just descriptive. <laughs> Well, I feel like tennis shoes are really descriptive. Like in the name is the sport that apparently you're engaging in while you wear that shoe. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm also doing a stunning amount of, of uh, Googling here right now. What I'm finding for tennis shoes is, is more like a flat-footed running shoe than what I would have thought. Like okay. growing up, like when I go to the store and buy a running shoe, that's what I think of when I think of a tennis shoe is just like yeah, a general right running on. shoe. But if you look at like tennis shoes, they tend to be more flat-footed on the bottom. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think podcast. nowadays it's gravitated more toward like a like an Adidas, like not a cross trainer, right. like something that's like zero drop that's a little bit more casual in nature. Yeah. A kind of thing you probably wouldn't wear if you were going for a run, but more if you were just going out to be out. Yeah. Like it's not a dress shoe, it's not formal. It's not even like maybe casual. It's more of just like a, it's a leather athletic shoe. Again, I think like Puma, maybe some Adidas like fall into that category. Yeah. But yeah, so it turns out maybe Farina slash like Multimeal slash like cream of wheat is actually more all alike and it's all the same thing. We've just been calling it different things. I have, look, This is going to derail the whole thing. I understand it's 26 minutes in, but our rule. <laughs> I have to ask. I just came out, I had a conversation with a colleague this week who mentioned something that she loved that I hadn't thought about in years that is, I think, a definite like New England nor Northeast thing, but it's like, like what a, I, I don't, it would be difficult for me to tell you what it would take for me to put this in my mouth. I'm just going to say it that way. So are you familiar with Necco wafers at all? Have you ever no, had a Necco wafer? I haven't. Have you have you ever taken sidewalk chalk and eaten it? Uh, I actually probably have. Now that I think about it, not intentionally, I guess. Necco wafers. Everybody can just Google these things. They're oh. like these really thin, like oh, candy we totally wafers. had these growing up. You did. We called them Smarties, though. 
No, 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 no. I mean, so, so I'm with you. I'm with you in that, like, you're going to look at them and say th- that, like, the construction of this candy seems very familiar. Uh, these things were made, like, I think, like, they were carrying them in the Civil War, like, on yeah. their backs. Like, they were a part of, like, they've been around for a very, very long time. So they're like Smarties, except if you took everything that is, like, beautiful and joyful and delicious <laughs> about a Smartie and you, you took it out it's of that extracted. thing. Yeah, exactly. And instead, you were like, let me create a really chalky, thin kind of candy that seems like you like it just on the principle of it being nostalgic. That would be a knuckle wafer. I actually thought this company had been defunct for a long time. I had to do some research. Turns out they, they were defunct. Somebody bought them. And apparently, they're still making the candies. To this colleague, I said, it's possible that you're still eating inventory from the late 1800s because... I can't imagine that anybody really likes these, but she was like, I absolutely like, like top. She was like, these are like the top favorite five candies uh, in my life. And I said to her, yeah, I don't trust you as a person. <laughs> there's, there's true statements and they're false statements. And I've never had these before, but looking at them, they do look like you could just like go out on the sidewalk and draw a picture with them. And it would be the same as, as sidewalk chalk. You're going to have to tell me, I would just say, would you do me a favor? Keep an eye out in your life in New England and see if these pop up like at the grocery store, at the convenience store. Because again, I really thought these were a convention, but apparently they made their way at least as far south as Pennsylvania and the United States and people are buying them. I, I don't understand why. Um, I don't know if this is like a, you're stocking your pantries for Armageddon <laughs> and you know that these things will be able to survive, <laughs> but they're just not... Uh, uh, not great. And, and this is not like a licorice conversation or star anise. Like it's not that it's that these are just super weird and they taste like super chalky. And it, it feels like the kind of candy that you would eat in civil war times because, because there wasn't like, anything else. Exactly. Like Abraham Lincoln is your president. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, it was just like the time in which you lived and like anesthesia was barely a thing. And so you're like, we have to accept like this, this chalky candy because it's the best we have. And then you're like, Milton Hershey was like, I can make you milk chocolate. And you were like, well, forget about this nonsense because that stuff is way more delicious. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I love everything about this episode. This is the best. Yeah. Sorry. It's, I totally like just take us. I just took us way off the beaten That's path, okay. but okay. loved ones, somebody, somebody reach out to us at info or foreign brotherhood.com. Tell me, if Necco wafers are in your part of the world, wherever they're all the better. If you don't live in the United States and you can tell me that they're there, I would be shocked. I would say to you on behalf of Americans everywhere, I'm so sorry that we sold you that bill of goods, but if it's there, I would love to know. Like, let's, let's just put out the, the challenge to do a little informal survey. Someone somewhere is writing a one-star review on iTunes because <laughs> we, we, slanderously accuse Necco wafers of not being delicious. <laughs> Doug Wilson then, is hiring an anti-defamation lawyer to come after us because we said Necco exactly, wafers are terrible. That's the DW connection here. If you like them, I'm willing to receive your feedback. Like, please present to us at info.com all of the reasons why you find this to be a superior candy. I would be happy to listen to that. I'd be happy to receive the Necco wafers and to draw something on the sidewalk with them. And uh, it would be indecipherable from actual chalk. So give us an email. If uh, if someone emails us to tell us all about how much they love Necco wafers, 
uh, I'm going to channel Ben Shapiro and be like, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> the facts don't care about your feelings. I, I'm making this up because I've never had this chalk before. Yeah, so, well, so, so what I like to do, Tony. Let's is, do a blind taste test. Here's a piece of chalk. Exactly. And here's a Necco wafer. And you tell me which is which. Exactly. At some point. So <laughs> plot twist. They're both pieces of chalk. Yeah, I was, I was catching like what that's like the Pam thing from the office, right? Yeah. Corporate said, to, yeah, tell us a picture. Um, at, at the risk of prolonging this, which I'm going to do real quick, uh, I think we're going to have to do this sometime. Let, let's acquire some when you and I are together just for fun. We'll start an episode where like we each try them yeah. because like they come in different um, colors. Yeah. The colors presumably are flavors. I'm pretty sure that is just a whole ruse. I think yeah. they're all the same flavor, but let's do it. Let's, let's get, I mean, it, honestly, a whole sleeve probably only costs like 10 cents. Yeah. We'll just get them. But like 12 pounds of it for a dollar. Yeah. We'll just get them. And then like, maybe you and I will wear period attire. I'll put in a giant like top hat and <laughs> we'll just, we'll just eat them. And I'll get, I'll give my honest opinion. I haven't had it in years. And if you've never had it, I would love to see what you think. And, and I know that you will give like an unbridled, like purely unreserved yeah. In a very transparent opinion, right? Yeah. I can't think of any specific stores that sell these, but I can think of the kind of stores that probably sell this candy. You got to look. Yeah. I'm sure I can find it. You got to look like some kind of like old timey, like country store, like, oh, yeah. like Vermont has a country store. Mm -hmm. It's probably, it's probably in there. Yeah. You know exactly um, what I'm talking about. There's also a distillery yes. right there. So it's not going to be. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, like I think the Necco wafers are right next to like one of those washing boards. You know, like you could also buy one of those things, which I know they still make. Oh, yeah. Honestly, there are manufacturers that still make yeah. that stuff. So again, yeah, let's just do it. So anyway, all right. I think that we are on your affirmation. I yeah, lost yeah. track though. Yeah, it's my fault because the, the Necco wafers got me totally fired up. <laughs> um, I was going to make this super quick. I haven't done like a musical affirmation in a little while. Uh, the affirmation is just, uh, the Devil Wears Prada, that's not the movie, but there is a band by that name that precedes the movie. Uh, they have a new album. It's called, well, not a new album. It's like a deluxe one of those remastered albums called Color Decay. It's pretty fantastic. It's worth a listen to. So there you go. It's like the opposite, like whatever the opposite of Necco Wafers is musically, it's probably The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, it's a unique name. It's kind of weird. You can do your history search on them, uh, but it's it's worth listening to. All right, enough of that because... Honestly, like I kind of like I right now, there is a clenched fist within me that wants to go back to the Necco wafers. So I'm going to try to steer us away from that. And so let's talk about something far better, which is we're in this series about the armor of God. I'm just going to jump immediately to Ephesians 6, where we find Paul writing about this. I start in verse 14 because we've been kind of like stacking up these pieces of armor, or these pieces of clothing or the equipment that's part of this armor. We've talked about a couple so far, and so I'm going to start again in verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, Paul says, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And, and this is for our conversation today, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're finding ourselves right now in this idea of helmet. And basically we've got what, like seven words here and take the helmet of salvation. So really actually maybe it's just three words. And one of them is a preposition. 
helmets of salvation. So I've, I've already spoken about Necco wafers long enough. Tony, where would you start? And I use your name because we're on a podcast and not across <laughs> the table. Where would you start with this idea of we've got Paul saying we need a helmet in our armor? It seems reasonable, right? Like if you're going to go out to a battle, you want to protect the part of your body that is adjudicating, that is reasoning, that is the part that houses your brain. It is like your cranium. But he's also saying that helmet is the helmet of salvation. So where do we begin? Yeah, I mean, maybe before we dive into that, I sort of preface this a little bit during our pre, uh, pre-podcast conference. Uh, I, w- I wanted to share a little bit about what my week has been like, and, and this is going to seem like weird uh, until we get into it. Um, I, I'm not sharing this stuff because it, I want to set myself up as an example or because I'm trying to foster pity or anything like that. Um, but I, I thought, you know, we, we often comment in the midst of these series how God is actually working through our own reflection on this text and on these concepts in our own lives. And if I'm just being really like really straightforward and just kind of like burying myself, it's been a really, really, really hard week for me. It's been a hard week for a couple of weeks now. And I won't get into all the details of why, but like there's some serious things going on in our, our church life. Um, my work stress level is um, unhealthy, I think is a fair way to say it. I'm the only person or have been the only person for multiple months now who's handling all of the complaints for uh, a major medical system, um, which is a lot. And um, my family has been sick this last week. And um, yesterday, uh, I just came to a breaking point. And I, I was driving to the grocery store to pick up some snacks or something like that. Um, and I was just overwhelmed with this feeling that like all of my talking about stoicism and and not letting things uh, things get to me and um, you know the only thing that can hurt you is your own reflection, all of this and all of the stuff I've talked about about like trusting in God and this too must be subservient to my salvation. like all of that came crashing down on me and and I just felt like a total fraud and I felt like God must be totally just angry and disappointed with me. And at that moment in my car, the song, um, the song before the throne of God, uh, the Shane and Shane version. I know there's a lot of different people have done that song. The song came on and the opening line before the throne of God above, I, um, now I'm going to forget the line, but the, the, the song is all about how in God's presence, we have this perfect mediator. Yes. Right. And, and, Everything that I have learned and studied about God over the last two decades of my life now since I became a Christian, the most important thing that came to my mind was that God is not angry at me. He's not disappointed in me. He's not um, He's not looking at me going, man, I just wish that you had done better. I have a strong and perfect plea. And so the, the way that this plays in and the reason I'm bringing it up is in that moment, I was being assaulted by the flaming darts of the devil, right? I, I don't want to get overly charismatic about that or overly um, literal about that. I don't think that I I am nearly important enough to have capital S Satan's attention. Um, I just don't think that that's the case. I think most of the time we're our own worst enemies and we are more than strong enough of a discouragement in our lives. Um, we don't need special help from the devil. But in, in the context of this passage, everything that comes against us in the spiritual world, whether it is a demon directly 
or whether it's just spiritual discouragement from the nature of things. That's the flaming darts of the of the evil one. And in that moment, the recognition that God is not disappointed in me, God is not sitting in heaven waiting for me to fail and then being really upset that I am. Instead, God is always on my side. He's always for me. He's always, the son is always advocating for me in the presence of the father. When I was able to recall that and grasp it and trust it, it all changed. And that, that in my life this week was, that was taking up the shield of faith in all circumstances, right? It was taking up the shield of faith in the circumstance of, I've got way too much work to do and my job is way more stressful than is reasonable. And I've been trying to hold it together and I just can't anymore, right? It was that. That was the shield of faith in that circumstance. It was the shield of faith in my wife is sick and ordinarily Fridays during the week, I get time at work where I'm not responsible for the baby and I had to call in sick to work to take care of the baby on top of the fact that I'm already behind at work, right? I'm happy to do it. It's my son. It's I wasn't babysitting, right? That's my responsibility just as much as it is my wife's. But on top of the already stressful work environment, I now have to not be working in order to take care of the baby because my wife is sick. Realizing that because I was not thrilled about that, because I was frustrated, that I was not a bad father, that I, that God was not disappointed in me, that was taking up the shield of faith in that. So I bring that up and I say that to kind of intro tonight's episode, although we only have 20 minutes left, so we may have to do this as a two-parter. But <laughs> this is real shoe leather stuff, right? Yeah. And we say that a lot. We talk about that a lot. And I hope that, I know that it's true for me and you. You and I have enough offline conversations about the stuff that we're studying and learning that I know that it, it actually is making an impact and actually is being applied in our real lives. I hope that it is in the real world for other people as well, people who are listening to the show. And I hope that I hope that me being able to share that with the audience here, with with our listeners, is enough to help them also see that like it's okay. It's not okay that you're not doing a great job at being a Christian. Like it's not okay that you fail. I I had I was harboring frustration towards my wife and child, that was not, it was not valid, right? They, they, they weren't doing anything that was worthy of me being frustrated. And right. it's not okay that I was frustrated and that I was upset at the situation. They have no control over it. But God is not, God is not standing in heaven judging me for those things. He is standing in heaven interceding for me before the Father, Right that's taking up the shield of faith. And that makes all the difference for us. So I think when we talk about the helmet of salvation, as we've talked about these other things, we've alluded to the fact that these aren't all necessarily like discrete uh, atomic things that we can separate from each other. These are all different ways to talk about what it is that Christ gives us when we put on Christ. So I want us to remember that, that as we talk about these things, these are real, there's real world application to this. This isn't just some lofty two guys talking about it in a podcast kind of theology or ivory tower theology. The stuff that we're talking about and we're learning about in these passages is there for our edification and yes, for our correction, but for our edification, for our 
uh, our benefit for our sanctification. And for me, that was just really real this week. Like immediately, I was brought to tears. I had to pull over on the road because I was brought to tears when I remembered when I when I took up the faith, took up the shield of faith, which extinguished the darts of the enemy. I was brought to tears by the fact that I have a strong, perfect plea before the Father in heaven. He's not standing there ready to condemn me. He's standing right. there having already justified me and ready to welcome me and ready to encourage me. That was a really powerful moment for me. And what a blessing that Paul articulates that for us by under the influence of the Holy Spirit that, as we said before, this putting on of the armor of God, which Christ equips us with. It's as if we, like we stand in that tent as David did with Saul, and we need somebody to help us be fitted with all these pieces. That's exactly what Christ does. It's not that we've manufactured the armor, that we ourselves have put the metal over the anvil and have pounded it into shape, into function, into purpose, and then fitted it to our bodies, but that Christ himself does that for us. So that, to your point, when we come to the end of ourselves, what we find is that we need somebody else, something transcendent, someone who will equip us with protection. And Christ does that. And it's such a gift that it ought to cause us to come to bow down to the one who says, I will take care of you. And I think often we only really find appreciation for that when we're at our wit's end and when we feel like completely poured out, turned over, spent out. So I think it's at least worth saying because you brought it up. And that's like, that is honestly one of my favorite uh, hymns. This is Bancroft. Yeah. And that first verse uh, speaks this, these words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And that is actually the perfect encapsulation of all these pieces that we're talking about. They're putting on this armor is a protection of the full person. And it's beautiful that each piece of the armor is associated with this different plan, this different purpose of God that he has for our lives. So that shield is his protection, this extinguishment of the enemies coming forward to us, coming after us. And then we have this helmet, which again is like the seat of authority for the physical person, that being protected. I was thinking this week in anticipation of this, I, somehow I was reminded of this, that I forgot for a period of time that in high school, one of the sports that I did was fencing. I actually really loved fencing. And there's three types of fencing. There's foil, epee, and saber. I did foil because it was the easiest one. <laughs> if you've ever watched any of the Olympics, it's probably, you've seen like Olympic fencing, it's probably foil. And the difference between each of the three is where you can actually land the target. That is where you can land a mark or a hit on your opponent. In foil, it's just the chest region. And you can only land that hit by a thrust. There's no slashing. That's like very like ungentlemanly in foil. On the opposite end of the spectrum is saber. Saber, the saber sword has like a shield over the hand. And that allows you to like that style is like swashbuckling. It's like pirate style. You can swing it and you can crush your enemy with it. And typically there's a lot of headshots on that one. And so it's like a coming down over the head. There's like swinging the sword like wide and broad and to come up like damage. And I remember even in my days of doing fencing that 
the helmet is kind of cool, but also like super annoying because it like restricts your vision. It prevents you from seeing the world like and everything around you in a way that's like unencumbered. And yet it is the thing that you definitely want on your person when the sword comes against you. So this idea that like there is something in the head that plays the seat of authority of man, that mind that adjudicates and that reasons, and that this thing is being crowned with salvation. It's being taken over. It's being given a new way to perceive the world, that everything in which we understand and process the world is being passed to the same of the gospel. That is this joy of what it means to be once dead and now made alive. And now if you've been made alive, it changes the way you view everything. It seems to me that this is entirely in keeping with the way that God wants us to understand this best of all news. And that that empowerment, of course, would be in the mind first and foremost. That, of course, there's a reflection in the heart that changes our behavior, but we cannot have that behavioral change unless our mind has been transformed by this constant renewal of what it means to be saved by Christ. So I love that, like, the first thing that we need to have protected is the way in which we read the world. In other words, like, all of us have all of these lies which we believe. And we need to have them undone, like constantly reformed, so that when we come into the battle, that our actions, the moving of our limbs and the processing and the outworkings of our bodies have all actually first been influenced by our minds and that the mind needs the gospel. And that God says, I will give you this helmet of salvation, which is the saving of your thoughts and of your perspective onto the true way to understand all of reality. And that's like just normative and chill for God. In other words, like that's just his jam. That's when he saves his people, he saves them onto a perspective and a mindset and a worldview that is now 100% unencumbered by the way in which things appear, but instead is focused on the way in which they actually are. So it's like equal parts of understanding, hey, Romans 1 is a a real thing, that everybody exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that when the Holy Spirit arrests us, when God saves us onto himself, when he calls us specifically onto himself, that he totally transforms our mind so that we might see the things the way they are. Like the helmet of salvation, and I mean this in like the best way possible, is what leads to like the cage stage of Calvinism. Because you so clearly see things as they really are, that you're shocked that everybody else around you isn't like, how do you not understand that God does all the verbs? How do you not know that Jesus Christ has come to set us free from all things? And that in the spirit is the freedom of Christ. And the rest of the world around you is like, would you chill for a second? So like there is this great energy, but it all comes because we receive upon us this grand helmet of salvation. Yeah. And I think it it bears saying too, um, we talk a little bit once in a while about like English translations don't always help us that much. And I think in this, this sequence of verses that we're talking through, we see the word take multiple different times, but there's actually several, like there's multiple different Greek words that are represented throughout the course of this passage. And this particular passage, the Greek word has more to do with receiving and specifically receiving in your hands. It's, yes. it's a, it's a verb that's related to actually grasping with your hands. The other, the other ones take up the shield of faith, take up the whole armor of God. That's more of a, a general term of like, pick it up, pick it up and put it yeah. on. This is more of, about the reception of a thing than it is about the act of taking of a thing. Um, this is actually a, a Greek 
word that doesn't have a passive voice, um, which means that even the active, this is a little bit weird, but it, it's called a deponent verb. It means that it doesn't have a passive voice, but that also means that the active voice has a passive sense to it. And so when it's when you're taking up the helmet of salvation, it might be more accurate to translate this as receive for yourself the, yes. the helmet of salvation. And so it's emphasizing here, and it makes sense in associational salvation here, it's emphasizing that the, the helmet and the salvation that is represented is not something that we actively take up, right? So this is like the helmet that is bestowed upon you. And this is this I think is really key because the again the the protection that we have the the clarity that we're given that you're kind of highlighting the fact that this is around our face and our eyes you know metaphorically this is something that is given to us by God yes, and salvation um again I don't want to overly atomize this and be like helmet is only about clarity but the fact that it is a helmet and that that helmet covers your head and your eyes, it covers your brain, yes. it really is, we really should think of this about receive the clarity of thought and the clarity of purpose, right. the clarity of things from salvation, the clarity that salvation brings to you. Um, that That's really, I think, what this is getting at with this part of it. And again, this is not to sort of like abstract it from the other pieces. This really is all about putting on Christ. But this this phrase is emphasizing the fact that when we put on Christ, we see the world for what it really is. Right it's on. it's a kind of like a parallel to the belt of truth, right? right? It's it's this salvation that we put on our heads, this salvation that guards our minds and our eyes, our our spiritual eyes to be able to see the world for what it really is. And this is not something that we we get for ourselves. This is something that we receive for ourselves, but we have to receive it from another. We cannot receive it on our own merits or on our own efforts. We have to receive this salvation from another. Yeah, I love what you said there, because I think it's almost like, like you tell me if this is too far, it's almost like um, finding this helmet in your hands already, put it on. Like, yeah. It's been prepared for you. It's been fitted for you. That somebody has vouchsafed this piece of essential equipment to you already. Just put it on. You've got it right in front of you. Just put it on. So I love this because it shows like the kindness of our God for us, that he is for us. And that this is as much about coming against the enemy as it is against like all enemies and proper conception of the world in which we live. And some of this, of course, is just reminiscent of the Old Testament. So uh, because of we're con- you and I are constantly in Locust Bible software, of course, looking at the passages we've just been talking about leads us inevitably to Isaiah 59. And I just want to read a couple of verses beginning in verse 15 of that chapter. This is what Isaiah says. Now the Lord, that is Yahweh, saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him, and he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. And so even here, what we find ourselves is following in the first steps of our first brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who exemplified this, that he himself was equipped in this way 
to, again, see and perceive the world as God actually intended. So in some ways, when we come to this passage, I think what we have in here is this great clarion call to ask God to fulfill his promises. That is like when we're going about our daily lives, we've got like difficult things we're trying to understand or difficult family circumstances or difficult health issues that seem intractable or difficult like instances at our work. What we ought to ask is, God, would you equip me with the helmet of salvation, which allows me to understand what it is to be saved, to be part of the family of God, and then to exhibit and to manifest this gospel news to all around me because I see clearly through all things by the power of one who has created all things. And so we're in many ways asking God, just do this thing. The taking up is as if to say, Lord, by your grace, you have put this already on my person. Would you allow me to wear this in a way that is worthy of the calling to which I've received? So like, I'm just like super grateful about this. Like when we talk about, and I say this somewhat like jokingly and and, uh, like tongue in cheek sometimes, but the only way one might run through a wall, presumably, and not be hurt is that you have something upon your physical person that protects you from whatever that wall is. Yeah. So otherwise, even if it's seat rock, you're going to get caught or you're just going to be covered in dust or you're going to be battered and bruised by the whole experience. So when we say like, I'm able to run through a wall, it's, I, I would say like implicitly to say that God has somehow equipped you with the protection to exactly do that. What is that protection? It's all this armor. It starts with being able to, you're going to put your head down and you're going to run through it. You're going to see the way the world actually is because God has equipped you to do that. I think we all want to actually be consumed with truth. We all really want to understand what's actually going on, what the things in the world are actually about. That's why, again, like Romans 1 is so great. And so the helmet of salvation, as you said, is that it's not a darkening. It's as if like the helmet focuses our vision. It changes the way in which we perceive because it allows us that spiritual vision which means that we can negotiate and navigate the world in a way that brings us great joy in a way that brings God glory. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about this more next week because this is the you know this is only the first half of this verse. But the 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 passage itself and this is again um I don't want to present this as though like you can never read the Bible correctly if you don't know Greek. But but there is certainly an element that understanding the Greek language and understanding how the Bible utilizes that, which is part of why Logos Bible software is so great is because you don't necessarily need to know Greek to be able to get some of this stuff. But this passage is broken up by two imperatives, right? An imperative is a command verb. So in verse 14, the imperative is stand therefore, and then all of the verbs through the rest of 15, 14, 15, and 16 are participles that tell you how it is you are to stand. So stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the readiness of the gospel. And then in all circumstances, we should read that as having having taken up the shield of faith, right? And then in 17 here, we have a new imperative. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now when we get to verse 18, praying... That's a participle again. So the first part is stand therefore, and there's all these participles that tell you what it means to stand. And then take the helmet of salvation, take up, and then there's all these verbs that of what it means to take up. So we're at a we're at an inflection point in the passage. It's not to say that like this up here is totally unrelated to down here, but it's right. two kind of concepts 
There's the first of standing and all of the things that are part of that. And now there's the the taking, and this is the second imperative. We take up the helmet of salvation. There's no second verb governing the sword of the Spirit. So taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, that's kind of seen as one one taking. That's one verbal process that we're commanded to do. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Um, and then we're going to learn in the coming weeks how it is we do that. Spoiler alert, it's by praying at all times in the Spirit. Right. So I'm excited to sort of like, well, I guess we'll call it part two of this conversation when we talk about the sword of the Spirit. Right. Um, but but it's this passage, as I've said throughout the course of this episode or this this series, this passage of this is often seen as like these discrete individual items that have their own arenas and their own functions. And the actual structure of the passage does have these two discrete command verbs, but everything is so interrelated and it all culminates kind of in the end here of how we do this and in what context we do it. And it's in the context of praying for and with the saints. So like the local church is key in all of this. So I think we can probably wrap it up there since we're in the middle of a verse and we're going to pick it up next week. There's no need to make this into a longer episode than it needs to be since we are not finished with this passage. Uh, Jesse, how can people support us if they wanted to chip in and uh, and help us out a little bit besides love- praying with all prayer and supplication? Yeah, I, la- I laugh because I appreciate they're asking me and usually I ask you. And that's mainly to deflect from the fact that I actually don't remember any of the ways that people can actually... <laughs> Go and do that. Uh, well, I remember one at least, and you've already mentioned this. If you go to, just go to like any web browser on your phone or your computer, type in this t.me backslash reform brotherhood. What you'll find, what will pop up is something called Telegram. Telegram is just a messaging app. And within that app, you can create little tiny communities. And there is a little community of people that listen to the reform brotherhood that are interacting, having conversations, sharing memes, sharing jokes, sharing prayer requests. It's all there and you can be a wallflower. You can actually explore it before you commit yourself to saying, you know what, I would like to be a part of that. But I encourage you at least go check it out. It's a unique little corner of the interwebs and I think it's worth being a part of. Tony, you already mentioned that there's been some conversation this week about uh, Doug Wilson, all kinds of other manner of things. Also, there's all kinds of like hilarity. There's baby pictures and all kinds of stuff, right? So it's about human life and it's about processing that life and trying to understand what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ very, very closely. Of course, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com and check out all more different and various details about the podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash reformbrotherhood. That's a place where if after satisfying all of your giving to your local church, you've decided, you know what? I've sought the mind of God. I have some financial resources that I want to share with the Reformed Brotherhood. We are always appreciative of every little tiny gift. And there are many that people are giving because that's what ensures that nothing that you're hearing here is behind a paywall. Everything is free of charge. And we've always been committed to saying that you're not going to hear some kind of like syndicated advertising. But the reason why it sounds really good is because Tony in particular has gone to great lengths to make sure that our voices sound good, that the download speeds are fast, that you can get it in a way that goes to all of the podcast catchers that are out there in the world. And believe it or not, while it is free to you, it's not free to make. And so we're so thankful for those that give just a little bit, all of that accumulates up so that we can make sure it's free. So there's a couple of different ways in which you can you know, kind of come alongside and, and join it. What have I missed? 
The only other thing I would add, and this is this is something we're going to talk a little bit more about, just because it's such a great resource. Um, if you go to reformbrotherhood.com slash Logos, it will redirect you to our affiliate page on uh, Logos Bible Software's website. Uh, I think right now, although I think this is expiring soon, so it might be expired by the time this episode comes out, there's always a great deal available there. I think right now you can get 20% off uh, a package of some sort That's in legit. order to uh, either upgrade or build your library. Um, it's a great software. We use it every single week we have it up. Um, it really is, I think, the best thing that's out there. There are lots of other programs that are great and they have a use, um, but I've been using Logos Bible Software, I think, probably for like 20 years now. Wow. That's epic. Yeah. Listen, you should definitely go check that out. It's something that Tony and I use quite a bit. And at this point, we're not even getting any kind of kickback. Well, like True. explicitly, I think there's right. something that if you use that link, there's something that helps us to make sure, again, the podcast remains uh, free of charge. But listen, loved ones, the bottom line is when we're talking about all of this wonderful armor that God equips us with, I'm hoping that you're getting as much out of it as I am when our conversations uh, with Tony. And now this is where like I'm breaking the, the fourth wall in like a weird podcast way. Because again, I wouldn't normally talk with this. I wouldn't like if you and I were sitting across like <laughs> the table having coffee, I would, I would just like turn to the world and be like, listen, everybody. But that. That's the nature we're talking about. When you put on, by God's grace, this helmet of salvation, one of the beautiful things is not only has God equipped you with this helmet, he's given it, he's put it in your hand. You put it on. What we're doing is, in some ways, we're signaling that there is a way for us to know, to sure, know for sure that we've been saved. And that aside from all the protection this affords us, it is a demarcation that we are God's and that God saves us and that God does all of the verbs. So, if that's your jam, if you want to talk about this, come interact with us. Come give as part of this. Come be a part of the stuff that God is doing through this tiny little podcast where all we want to do is bring glory to God and receive the joy of salvation. And we see that manifest in this wonderful helmet that he places on our heads. How's that, Tony? I think that's as good a place to end it. And we always end it by saying, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.